Oh, you know, imagine that, a glitch. Uh, hey, my name's Rick Wager, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so grateful that you chose to come out today. We are in the middle, well, not in the middle, but we are on a journey. We are reading and learning about God from the Bible to be able to help us stay focused and encourage participation. I'm using the book, The Story, where pastors Max Lucado and Jerry Frazee have developed our curriculum and, and worked out actually our pace, 31 of these weeks. I also wanted to mention that I've been enjoying Colin Smith's book, uh, Unlocking the Bible, and being able to, again, get different perspectives from different teachers in order to hopefully um, share with each one of you some things that will be encouraging. Our story began in a garden. Everything was perfect. Well, they had a great environment. They had the perfect relationship. But Adam and Eve, well, they chose to disobey God, which birthed rebellion and struggle. In spite of the broken world, God, though, decides to create a nation where he could live and interact. God raises up a leader, his name is Moses, who leads Israel's journey to another garden. It was called Canaan, the promised land, a garden-type or like territory flowing with milk and honey. Canaan would be the place where God would reveal his presence, his power, and his plan for all people to come back into a rich relationship with him. God desperately wanted to experience life with Israel. Yet, in light of all the miracles and all the things that God had done specifically at this time when Moses was around, the feeling wasn't always mutual. Moses had a close relationship, Israel didn't, which really means they missed out. Let's pray and find out how badly Israel missed out. This week's story is found in Numbers 10 through 14, chapter 20, 21, 25, 27, Deuteronomy 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, and 9. Oh, yeah. That's a lot to cover. Lord willing, we'll do it. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled, recognizing your, your authority in our lives. And yet, God, there are so many times we buck against what you tell us. We don't really totally trust you. We sort of trust you. So, God, would you open our eyes? You're so worthy of trust. You are creator. You are God. You watch over us. You walk with us. And we are changed creations because of it. Lord, I pray for not only our church. I pray for those who are below, who are teaching and encouraging our little ones. I pray, dear Father, for those who are sharing your word all the way throughout this county, in this state, in this country, and in our world. Lord, would you strengthen your church today? We pray all these things in your Son's amazing name. 
Amen. You're not flying? Wow. I mean, give me the four-hour flight, couple movies. Next thing you know, we're in the hotel watching TV. But days in the car with the kids, stopping all the time, boring. Cool. I don't get it. Well, we like driving. I have to tell you, you all might just go out right now and want to buy a Santa Fe. All right? But I'm grateful for that advertisement. I am. Because road trips, well, as soon as I say that word, every one of us have been on road trips. And those family road trips, well, sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're filled with warnings. I mean, don't you remember, and, and again, uh, vans kind of changed everything, but, but again, you go back to the station wagon. All right? And dad would literally, at least my father, his mighty hand, while he's driving, put the hand on the knee or whatever, and it would be the same thing. Would you guys settle down? And we'd yelp right away. Well, you know what? Dave's on my side. You know? Get his leg off my side, and I'll be fine, dad. And then this would come. This is so classic. If you guys don't settle down, I'm turning the car around. Are you serious, Dad? I mean, did you ever turn the car around? Huh? Did you? But it's the threat, and you're seven years old, and you're going, oh, 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 oh. if he turns the car around, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. I know I'm dead. Okay, Moses was the driver for Israel. God was the GPS, didn't have it back then. He was the perfect guide. And Israel was in the back seat. Can you imagine leading one to three million people like this? Now let me just put it in perspective. How about if we just gather right here, two million, right in the middle. And let's just walk together to Milwaukee. All right, camp on the way, figure out where to eat, how to eat, or whatever, but, but we'll just do that. You get the picture. You get the picture. God said after about a year camping outside of Mount Sinai, it's now time to leave. We are now ready to go to the promised land. Well, everybody probably put their arms, you know, in this position. So, well, it's about time, God. We've been hearing about this land of milk and honey for a really long time. And camping out at this mountain hasn't been the greatest experience. Numbers. We're going to start in Numbers. It's right in the beginning of the Bible there. But it's where Exodus ends. Now, there is Leviticus in the middle. And again, I just want to remind you, there's, there's different ways that the Scriptures have always been written. It's not always chronological and drives some of us Westerners crazy. But Exodus ends and numbers begin. But let me say this. In many ways, numbers was a book that never should 
have been written. It's a story of a group of grumblers and complainers who went on an unnecessary detour. I'd like to warn you right now. This is a hard message. I think this is an important message. But this is a hard message. Because as soon as I say that, we put everybody else in the other category. I am not a grumbler. I am not a complainer, God. But I sure hope my wife is listening. Right? I'm going to be very forthright. I think this message is going to hit every one of us. And it's not going to be someone screaming up in the front here. It's going to be me sharing a story from God's Word that is unbelievable. Numbers 1 through 9 gives us some details. There's preparing and there's organizing and there's, well, actually getting sanctified to go into this land, getting cleaned up, making sure that these people are all ready for this journey, which again we could talk about, but we won't. Chapter 10 begins this glorious picture of each tribe leaving the camp with such anticipation, marching proudly under its gigantic banner. There's 12 banners. Numbers 10, verse 33. They marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the ark of the Lord's covenant moving ahead of them to show them where to stop and where to rest. Like I said, the GPS. There was anticipation. There was joy. They couldn't believe this was happening. And they were excited for three days. Three days. Then pessimism, complaining, and doubt happens. As I was preparing this message, I I, I thought back to some of the trips I've taken and One of the things that reminded me so much was when I was a youth pastor, I used to take kids to Florida. And we called it a gypsy trip. It was a trip where we took 100 kids in these kind of sleeper buses. And you would would sleep in these buses on the way. Then we'd go to different churches and we'd go to different beaches and we'd go. And all of you are going like, oh, Rick, that was suffering. I'm telling you, it's probably the hardest trip I'd ever taken every year, other than mission trips. It was always uncomfortable. And living with a hundred high school kids in a bus, I am letting you know, it was not always sweet and pretty. Well, we don't like Wendy's. We want McDonald's. When we don't like McDonald's, we want Subway. And how come we always eat and it just went, how come we get getting up so early? How come we have to walk this far? How come this isn't ready? Why isn't, oh my word, do you understand where we're going? Get over it, you know? Sometimes I was a little less godly 
at times. But what had happened is, is you just learned to come together. Think of it, what it is with a few in your car. As you expand that, and as you stop, and as you sleep, and as you all this, and the more people, the more issues, the more problems. They had been promised their own land, and now we're on the way to occupy it. But what happened within three days? They focused on the bane. They were tired. They were dusty. It was longer than they thought. It was harder to move with two million people. And I don't blame them. But remember how dad eventually got so upset that he stopped the car? Now don't even look at me like your dad never stopped the car. I mean, the uh, original one, you know, didn't work. And now the car is stopped on the side of the road. And you know there's fire coming out of nostrils. All right? And this is exactly what happened here. God stopped a car. He sent a message. Literally, he sent fire. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, two soon the people begin to complain about their hardship. Oh. And the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he set fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. They prayed to the Lord, and the fire stopped. The journey would have been so much better if they would just trust him, if they would just do what God asked them to do with joy. If they could relax and enjoy the journey, enjoy the presence. If they could have just done that. Hate to be talking about the old days here, but there's a guy named Glenn Coat that reminded me a lot of God. Now, let me describe him to you. He wasn't perfect. Well, one of the first things that happened when I became the youth pastor at Moraine Valley Church, it was Moraine Valley Baptist back then, this older guy walked into my office. He said, hi, I'm Glenn Coat. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Just like to let you know how it is around here. Okay. I'm the bus guy. We had two big buses. We had three vans. And he said, I just want you to know. I don't want you nosing around the buses. I just want you to let me know when we're going on a trip. I'll make sure the buses are ready. And I will drive because I actually don't think youth pastors ought to be driving. And I took a little bit of offense at that. Okay. I've been doing a little bit of that. But, but what he was saying literally was this. Rick, I want you to go. I want you to lead the trip. I want you to enjoy the trip. I want you to focus on kids. I want you to do things that you, that I can't actually do. But you know what I can do? I can fix buses. I can make sure they run like beautifully. The vans will be all ready. They will be swept out. And you, you just show up. Enjoy the journey. You know, the truth is, I've never had another Glen Coat any place I've been, ever, ever. And I, and I look back at that, and now 
all through the years or whatever and all the preparation, all the time, all the scenarios, all the situations that happened were I had to focus on the trip, not enjoying the journey. And it was so much like this, in my opinion. Just trust me. I'm a big God. I'm a great God. I will provide food. I will take care of you. I will do everything for you. Enjoy my presence. It's got to be kind of cool. You're walking in a desert and you're in shade. It's got to be kind of cool. As soon as it gets dark, a wonderful flame that lights up enough light for two million people. Pretty cool. Just letting you know I'm here. Every day, go out, get your food. It's right there. Pick it up off the ground. Absolutely sanitized. Everything is good. I mean, you think hot dog Sunday is cool, and it is. But manna, whoa. Maybe we should have manna Sunday someday. I don't know. But all I am saying is that God did it all. Just walk with me. Enjoy me. I'm going to bring you to a land. Oh, my. This land, it is so, so cool. But there's always a but. The flesh soon took over. Circumstances dictated their mood. And they complained. Numbers 11. Always dangerous to complain about God's gifts. Do you understand that everything we have is a gift? Do you understand that? Do you realize even the car you're driving is a gift from God? Every one of us have gifts. Well, they complained about hardship and food. They complained about what they had back at Egypt. They listened to foreigners rabble. And again, you can read through these chapters. Apparently, they let some folks go with them. And their negative attitudes, the scriptures say, spread to every tent. Whoa. You know what? There is a reason. There is a reason that God calls complaining a sin. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without complaining or grumbling. Whoa. Why? Because you don't have the newest or the best? No, we probably all would like that. But I can tell you this. What we're actually saying is, God, you are not sufficient. God, I'm not trusting you. God, I need more. And you're not listening very well today, God. Wow. Thankfulness eliminates complaining. With everything in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks. Boy, that is so good when things are good. Aren't they? But what about you get a call from the doctor and it says you have colon cancer? Pretty sure you don't get up and do a happy dance. 
That would be dumb. But God, what are you going to do? I, I don't know. But by faith, this seems so stupid, but by faith, I'm going to say thank you. You know, this is the difference for me between a mission trip and a bus trip. On a bus trip, ah, too many kids, uh, they paid a lot of money. You know, I got to be a little kinder. On a mission trip, completely different. One of the things on every one of the mission trips I went on, it was just an understood thing. No complaining. It doesn't matter how bad it is, doesn't matter what situation, doesn't matter what's going on. There is no complaining. And for seven or eight or nine days, we had kids and leaders live a little differently. Didn't matter how hard it was, didn't matter how squished you were in the van, didn't matter what you smelled like, it didn't matter anything, how much sleep you had. There's no complaining. And I think that's a little bit of what God wants on our journey. God, you can't bring the hardest, worst things in all the world to I, I'm just not going to complain. Because I know, I know you're my good, good father. You are my good, good father. I am not going to complain. Well, the eggs just, uh, they just taste a little burnt. Okay, I think you eat the eggs. That's what I think. God says, I am here. I am walking with you. You just follow me. Well, then on top of that, the leadership team. Oh, my word. The complaining continues up the ranks. And the scriptures tell us that Aaron and Miriam, there was Moses and his brother and sister were the big cheeses on this trip. They started complaining. Now, the scriptures say both of them complained, but only one really got sick. So I'm sort of thinking one kind of didn't say anything, and that's kind of his reputation. And I kind of think Miriam kind of complained to his, to her brother. And of all the things to pick on was his wife. You know, hey, she's not an Israelite. What would you do? Go and marry some? Well, actually, if you remember, Moses was in the desert. You know, when he eventually got married. Uh, wasn't a whole lot of Jews to pick from at that moment. But I think this is much more than sibling rivalry. They challenged God's plan and didn't like his leader. They knew Moses well. And they saw the kinks in his armor clearly. They saw all the things that Moses didn't do well. And so they attacked what they could attack. And listen to this. God heard the clamor, did not let this act of rebellion go unnoticed, and he talks to the three. Can you imagine having a talk with God and your brother and sister? That's what happened in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. 
but not with my servant Moses. I think as soon as that came out of their mouth, or his mouth, both Miriam and Aaron probably thought they were in trouble. Of all my house, God says, he's the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why, look at this, why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Why didn't it scare you to criticize Moses? You know, David, we often look at him, a man after God's own heart, he really treated God's ordained differently, and we're all in shock. We know that David's going to be the next king. We know that Saul isn't even following God at this time. And yet he has two opportunities to literally kill him, which in that day and age was not too uncommon for a king. And yet his response shocks us. And the reason it shocks us is because probably none of us would do this. You mean you're going to let Saul go? You know what? I am not going to be the person to come against God's anointed. Wow. There was fear there. And faith in God that he was going to take care of it. Well, before leaving that tent, the scriptures tell us Miriam had leprosy. Whoa. Well, they prayed. She was healed. And there was, I'm sure, restitution at that moment. But if we're honest, some of us may say, and maybe all of us, we're going to side with Miriam and Aaron. They, they may have a point. I mean, after all, Moses... You know, he seemed kind of weak over here, or this didn't happen well here, or couldn't he have led better over there? I'm sure they thought they could do a better job. But you have to remember the upper story here, okay? There's plenty wrong with this story from God's perspective. God was building a nation different than any other nation. All other nations complain they're never satisfied and there's jealousies. All other nations malign their leaders and fight for power and authority. God's nation's going to be different. The kingdom of God is different. I am going to walk with you, God says. I am going to be your ultimate king. I will assign certain people as leaders. Your job is to trust and obey so you can relax and enjoy the journey. You know, the land of milk and honey will be theirs. But the journey will be long and difficult. I'm going to say two words. Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea. If you've never heard these words before, this is going to be quite the story. If you've heard these words before, which again, I am telling you, if you had five stories to know in all the scriptures, you need to know Kadesh Barnea. Numbers chapter 13 
and 14. It's a story that each one of us need to revisit. It's a story that needs to be on our on the tips of our tongue. It's a story that every one of our kids need to know. It's a story that every one of us need to be reminded of over and over and over. It is perhaps one of the saddest stories in all the scriptures. Now, I've built that up, and if you've never read it, you need to read Numbers 13 and 14. But there's some parts of this story I want to focus on. God told Moses to send out some spies. Leaders sent to gather information that would help Moses accomplish God's will. They came back after 40 days of looking at the land. And they said this, the land is good. Oh, the land is good. The land is amazing. The fruit, the bounty, we've never seen anything like this. But, 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 it's already occupied. And you know what? The task is beyond us. Only two leaders saw it differently. Two leaders, Joshua and Caleb, that were honored by God later. There were ten other carnal, weak leaders leaking this report, this negative report, and influencing a whole nation. In Numbers 13, verses 31 through chapter 14, verse 5, and I know that print is small, but I wanted it all up on the screen at one time, especially if you're not following your Bibles. This is what the report was. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the land, among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes and lives there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had only died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness. Whoa, this is depressing. They complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country, only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones would be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. I have so much here. But this is such poor leadership. Talking to the ranks rather than Moses or to the right people. Spreading this negativism. They were asked to gather information. They went beyond their authority and started to give opinions. Instead of asking, what does God want us to do? Listen to what they asked. What is manageable? 
And then godly leadership falls on their face before God. Oh, when given the options, people choose safe, comfortable. And let me remind you, war is not safe and war is not comfortable. Let me make this perfectly clear. Those people chose to say no to God. I will not listen to you, God. That promised land looks too difficult. Then Joshua and Caleb, the two different leaders, they purposed something very, very different, and they had this passionate speech in Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 7. Then they said to all the people, the, Lord, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning. They began to talk about stoning Caleb and Joshua. Are you serious? The only two godly leaders in the bunch... You know, we're all about this promised land. We get it. We've been slaves. All we have to do is go over there. But now we hear what the real deal is. You didn't really let us know, God. We didn't know there'd be walled cities. We didn't know there'd be giants. We didn't know we had to do go to war. I thought we were just going to get all this handed to us on a silver platter. God. We don't want it. Now, before we judge them too harshly, this eventually, when it happened, took seven to ten years of war. Okay, when finally Joshua led, and we'll get a little bit of that next week. But you put yourself in there. They weren't seasoned warriors, they had little kids, there were families. And now all of a sudden, God, you want me to trust you against giants. It doesn't work. But God had been faithful up to that moment. God had shared with them up to that moment. And I guess what I want to share with you is that that is what life is all about right now. It is. It's hard. It's war. The world is broken. Well, after the people did this, God talks to Moses. Look, look at this verse. Numbers 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. 
That's a really strong word, God. That is a strong word. Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Ooh. If your commitment to the will of God is conditional, based on your personal comfort, you literally are treating God with contempt. God is insulted. The kingdom is not among you. If you have seen God work and you are God's people and then you choose not to obey, not to have faith, you are treating God with contempt. Moses then intercedes for the people, but God punishes them. In Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 20, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you've asked, it, asked Moses. I, I will, as you've requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, which is pretty sure, not one of those people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miracle, miraculous signs I perform, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 days, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sin. Then you will discover what it is like to have me as an enemy. Folks, we have a gracious God, a loving God. But our God has a breaking point, and I don't know what it is. I don't. But I know this. It's a bad gamble not to obey God. Wow. Now right after this, and you're going to read somewhere a little still defiance that, okay, 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 God, I get it. We blew it. Let's go. And they did. They crossed the river. And they tried to, well, conquer the land. And all they did was suffer, get humiliated, and ran back to the crowd. In the rest of Numbers, Numbers 15 through 36, Israel has a time out. That's a nice word, isn't it? A 40-year timeout. A timeout that says, you know what? All you complainers, all you grumblers, all those who listen to the wrong leaders, you die. And you know how you're going to die? You're going to die in the desert. You're going to exist. That's what you're going to do. Is this what you want? You want 
This, this is what you get. I mean, does that give you goosebumps? Does that dis- discourage you? God says, I want to give you promised land. But no, you can't trust me. Exist. Exist. Now Moses leads God's people for 40 years in the wilderness. Amazing. And three faithful leaders, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, they all suffer because of others' rebellion. Eventually, Caleb and Joshua saw the land. Eventually, because Moses didn't listen to God completely one time during those 40 years, he got rejected. But can you imagine how many people suffer because, well, this nation decided not to listen to God? Again, you can read those chapters. But one of my favorite books in all of the scriptures is the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, if you want to write on the top of your Bible, this is Moses' last sermon he gives before he literally dies and hands the reins over to Joshua, who is going to lead the people into the promised land. He saw the miracles. He led the people faithfully throughout the desert. He listened to all the complaints. He kept them going and moving. And this is what Moses said. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Oh, folks, please put a box around this in your Bible. Underline this. This is what he says. Imagine the two million in front of him. He's spoken his whole sermon, all of Deuteronomy, all right? He's nearing the end, and maybe, maybe everyone's excited he's nearing the end. But this is what this 120-year-old man says. To now... The absolute youngest in the crowd, other than Joshua and Caleb, is 60 years old. He says this, Today, today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life and that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice. Teaches us by loving the Lord your God. He said that a few times back in chapter 6 in the beginning of a sermon of Deuteronomy. He's reminding them again, kind of wrapping this up. You can make this choice, this life choice, by loving your God, by obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. Committing to obeying. This is the key. This is the key to your life. 
And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had a choice. It's so clear. The choice is the same choice for us. That, that's it. The choice is, do I want to love the Lord, have a relationship with Him, spend time with Him? Do I want to submit to Him? Do I want to listen to Him? Do I want to follow Him? Do I? And do I want to be committed to that? Is that what I want to be known for? You know, as I look at our story today, there's an upper story. A story of things that we learned so much about God. And there's three things I'd like to just hone in on. God is faithful to His Word. Yes. He is so faithful to His Word. When He says something, He will do it. We can count on it. That's why the Scriptures are so important, to learn it. God still desires a relationship with us and literally wants to walk with us. And God raises up leaders and uses the faithful and obedient leaders He raises up. But then there's a lower story. And this is a hard one. It, it is. But you know, as I, as I look at the lower story, I, I see there's some really healthy, what I would call marks of the church or of God's people. First of all, it's filled with people who are thankful, not complaining. We can all justify. We can but the scriptures really are clear. Do not complain. It is a lack of faith. It's really hard to tell your four-year-old that. Or your 40-year-old. Or your 80-year-old. Another mark of a healthy church is that leaders... Listen to God. Go beyond the data, the giants, and trust God. You know, it's really important you pray for your leaders. It's really important that you recognize that your leaders are under pressure. Your youth leaders, the leaders of our church, the leaders of different ministries. Our hope is, is that every one of them go beyond. Don't just look at the situations or the circumstances, but trust God. Second thing is that obedience is always costly. Please put yourself again in their shoes. Existence or war, comfort or being scared every night. Faith is always courageous. 
And let me say this, the more God blesses you and the more God blesses me, the harder it is to be uncomfortable or make sacrifices. In fact, the more God blesses a church, the easier it is for the church to focus on happiness rather than obedience. Because I don't know of any ministry that's easy. I don't. I think every ministry, every time you work with somebody, every time you work with a group, it takes a toll. You see, the church or believers are solely around, they solely exist to obey the king to do the king's work, and to be on mission. You know what's so sad about this text, honestly, is that the generation of people who experienced the abundant grace of God contributed nothing to advancing the purpose of God. Nothing. All they did was complain. When they had a chance to go into a land and to be able to represent God and to enjoy the blessings but to also be light to all the world. You know what? I don't think sometimes we are sacrificial. I don't. I think every one of us can actually grow. Sometimes the way we give, we're not sacrificial. Sometimes the way we spend our time, we're not sacrificial. We say yes to things that are convenient rather than hard. And I've been debating on whether to say something or not, and I, and I think I'm going to say something. You know, we all are busy, I'm pretty sure. I'm not so sure we're all busy doing the right things, but we're all busy. We are. But you know, I had a talk with one of our ministry leaders this last week and found out that she will be in Tiny Tots this whole month because either volunteers have not come forward and I'm not saying all their reasons aren't good. And I just asked some questions. I was saying, so are, are you telling me that you're going to miss this for a month? And the answer was yes. Said, wow. And I just started looking because, you know what? There are people here that are involved in so many things. I get it. But I wonder, people who are in this service every single week, every single week, in spite of all the other ministries, couldn't there be a few people that would say, you know what, I'm going to miss a service once every six weeks. I really like the service. I really like the worship. I really, that preacher. And I'm, but once every six weeks, 
to go down to spend time with some kids. Oh, Rick, that's not me. I, you know what? Don't. You know what? Sometimes things are hard. And sometimes you get on your knees. And sometimes you do change diapers. Sometimes you do. And I'm just saying, this is just one thing. How many of us today We don't want to cross the Jordan. There's giants in the land. And so you're living lives absolutely getting strangled because of fear. I don't know what God's called you to do. But folks, Kadesh Barnea I want you to go across the Jordan. I want you. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. There's going to be times when you're going to be outgunned, outmanned. Do you understand what I'm asking you to do? There might be even weeks you're away from your home. Do you understand that? But I'm going to be with you. And, and there's going to be joy. Folks, this isn't a recruiting Sunday. But this is, this is God's Word. I just feel that some of us Maybe the Spirit is just pricking at your heart. Please say yes. Find out. I, I've shared with you, I don't understand why people don't line up begging me. Hey, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do to advance the kingdom? What's going on here that I can get involved with? i got to be honest, as a pastor, I, people aren't lining up outside my office. Does that mean we have bad people? No, it doesn't. <laughs> we have an amazing group of people. But I just think we make our schedules and make our plans and do a lot of things and we're not willing to sacrifice. And I know some of you do. I do. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm grateful for others too. Because we are on a journey. But we have a choice. The choice is, are you going to love God? Are you going to listen to God? Are you going to be committed to what God has to say? Sometimes it's relational. I got to forgive. I got to forgive people that I don't like to forgive. I don't even like them. Sometimes it's changing a diaper. But don't. 
don't say no. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Cadus Barnea. I, uh, I do not want to know what it means to have you as an enemy. I want to hear your heart. I want to listen to you. Lord, if you've asked me to be sacrificial with my time and with my money, I pray, God, that I have courage to do that. God, please change us. Change our leaders. Change our people. Change us, God. Jesus' name.